0: One, two, three, four. Forget your perfect offering. Forget your perfect offering. And ring the bell that still can not ring. And ring the bell that still can ring.
1: There is a crack in everything. There is a crack in everything. That's how, That's how the light, light gets in. That's how the light gets in. Hello, hello, and welcome to light. That's How the Light Gets In. I am your host, Brooke Anderson. Thank you so much to Wild Choir for the music that you just heard. They generously recorded that rendition of Forget Your Perfect Offerings specifically for this podcast. So if you missed it, be sure to go back and check out episode one for a brief introduction to the podcast, including more about the name That's How the Light Gets In and about the music you just heard. But the short version is that we'll be interviewing movement artists and cultural workers in the Bay Area and beyond who make our movement shine, who root our actions in the wisdom of our elders and our ancestors, and who create and defend culture to hold us and future generations through the best and the hardest of times. Today however, I am so incredibly excited to share the conversation that I had with two just absolute powerhouse organizers, strategists, facilitators, Quentin Sankofa and Angela Aguilar, members of the staff collective of the Movement Generation Justice and Ecology Project. Movement Generation, or MG for short, is a staff collective based here on Occupied Ohlone and Bay Miwok land in the San Francisco East Bay that engages in transformative action to liberate land, labor, and culture. I first met Movement Generation in 2005, and you know, it's, it's been my political home ever since. I spent, I think it was like six or seven years on the staff collective, and eventually left full-time work with Movement Generation to pursue photojournalism. But you know, there is, once you've been part of the Movement Generation family, there's, there is no leaving. So in recent years, we've continued working together to build out a Just Transition storytelling project I think a lot of y'all are familiar with this idea, but you know, if not, just transition refers to a set of principles and practices for building the economic and political power necessary to shift from an economy that we have now, based on extraction and exploitation, to a regenerative economy, to one that provides dignified and ecologically sustainable livelihoods governed directly by workers and communities. So anyway, one of Movement Generation's Just Transition principles is, if it's not soulful, it's not strategic. And so I want to read to you just briefly about this principle from Movement Generation's Just Transition zine. And you'll recognize it because I borrowed some language from it to describe the podcast. But it says, quote, our movements must be irresistible and rooted in the wisdom of our ancestries. We aim to create a culture that can hold us through the best and hardest of times, so that as we struggle, we do not need to seek respite via the trappings of consumerism and the privileges of empire. This is how we heal from the crisis of disconnection. This is what it means to decolonize. While the collapse of biological and cultural diversity is the crisis at hand, it is important to remember that we are not losing that diverse ecological knowledge and ancestral wisdom. We are lost from it. The knowledge resides in the relationship to soil, song, and story. If we engage ourselves in the soil, and our voices, in the songs, we will begin to find our way home. We will remember our way forward. You can read the rest of MG's Just Transition framework at movementgeneration.org backslash justtransition. And you know, to date, the, the Just Transition storytelling project I've been building out with Movement Generation has consisted of photo stories. However, in thinking about how best uh, to share out this Just Transition principle if it's not soulful, it's not strategic, we decided the podcast might better allow us to bring more voices of movement artists and cultural workers into the conversation, so we're giving it a try. So although this pod will feature artists and cultural workers from here on out, we really wanted to kick the pod off with a dive into this, if it's not soulful, it's not strategic principle, with MG's own Quintin Sankofa and Angela Aguilar. Ángela Águilar is a neurodiverse mama and Indigenous birth, death, and life transition worker. Uh, Ángela's change work is grounded in sexual and reproductive justice as ecological justice, and she accompanies survivors of childhood sexual abuse and assault and systems-impacted people to collectively heal our inner children, reclaim our power and curiosity, and reconnect to land. Angela has organized with the Healing Clinic Collective as a practitioner and former core member and has been deepening into cultural strategy for ecological justice as an MG Collective member, working on MG's Creative Wildfire 2.0 project in 2021 and 2023, and started PROPA, short for Propagate, a collective initiative with schools, educators, creatives, and community in East Oakland. And Quentin Sankofa was born and raised on the east side of Cleveland, Ohio. A strong work ethic with loving and supportive family helped him navigate the challenges of racism and poverty. Quentin and his soulmate moved to Oakland in 2009, and since then the town has been the place they call home and the birthplace of their first child quinton has been making the ecological justice connections between indigenous sovereignty and reparations for black people in movement generations work around the black land and liberation initiative and mg's cultural strategy productions like the north pole season one and two and the did we go too far podcast quinton and Anhela joined me in conversation last week from mg's yurt in berkeley And, as I mentioned in the first episode, just like the song says, this podcast is an imperfect offering, and that is very apparent in this episode, where I used the wrong settings on the microphone, and so, while Angela and Quentin sound amazing, apologies that my audio sounds a little distant, which we've fixed for future episodes, but I hope you'll enjoy it nonetheless, because we covered so much ground. from. The Black Panther Party to the Zapatistas, from leading with radical imagination to holding our grief. And we talked about what grounding in spirit and culture looks like from street protests to land stewardship. So without further ado, let's get to it. Here's Quentin and Angela. So, welcome, Quentin and Angela. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. How y'all doing?
0: Wonderful. Yeah, doing good. Doing good today.
1: Excellent. Happy New Year.
0: Happy, Happy New Year. Year.
1: Uh, we are recording today from the Movement Generation Yurt mm-hmm. in South Berkeley, on mm-hmm. uh, occupied Ohlone land, and specifically in a yurt that I was part of helping to build many years ago. Mm-hmm. I've painting this floor and putting mm-hmm. up this insulation. And so it just feels really <laughs> special to be back here and recording. Would one of you all actually help set the scene with the land that we are on right now?
2: Wow. well we're, we are in the back of uh two homes in berkeley with a small cottage next to us and our circular yurt right mm-hmm. what else is outside
0: a chicken coop <laughs> some chickens very oh, berkeley yes very berkeley compost toilet Compost yes, toilet. yes. Compost That's right. water catchment water system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: which has been getting a lot of rain lately mm. Having the rain Thank you both for giving the listeners an idea of where we are and situating us here on this land. Before we flesh out this just transition principle of if it's not soulful, it's not strategic, I wanted to start by asking you each who is an ancestor, an elder, or even a contemporary cultural worker who has really shaped your understanding of that idea that if it's not soulful, it's not strategic.
2: Thank you, I appreciate that question. For me, one of the folks that I'm very inspired by is Emery Douglas, who was a legendary artist and illustrator of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, which started right here in Oakland, not too far from Berkeley. And because of his creative intelligence and talent, the party was able to grow tremendously. Many of us are familiar with some of the iconography of that time, and a lot of that was Emory Douglas's influence so I really believe he played a pivotal role in, help, in helping bring that politic to the masses of people across the world.
1: That's right. Thank you, Emery Douglas. We're okay. so lucky to have you alive with us yeah. here in Oakland. Got a chance to meet him at Eastside Cultural, East Cultural Arts, Arts. Alliance many mm-hmm. yeah. years ago. Just, yeah. man. What an absolute gem in those images! Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thank you shout out Mr. Emery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
0: love
1: who you
0: got. Yeah. Thanks for I. I. It was hard. For, it's hard for me to think of like a person. So I thought the Black Panther Party, but also thought about the Sabatistas, mm-hmm. as, you know, part of their overall strategy is to use all types of cultural production from radio to teatro theater, street theater, or or bosque theater, you know, theater in the forest, poetry, storytelling, and to build this movement that just celebrated or honored or marked its 30 years of coming out of the forest and coming into San Cristobal in Chiapas and starting this land-based revolution in Mexico. And so I feel like the whole, that whole movement That has inspired folks across the world, but also has a connection to the Zapatistas because, I mean, to the Black Panther Party, sorry. Mr. Emery went and collaborated with some Mm. artists that are really connected to the Zapatistas and went down to Chiapas and they wrote a book or put a book of a collection of their work together called the Zapantera Negra. Mm. So I feel like they're really related, right? The Mm -hmm. cultural strategy of the Black Panther Party and the Zapatistas that's enduring, that I that I draw so much inspiration from every day, yeah, in this work that we do.
1: I love that, I love this connection between the two that y'all yeah. lifted up, and that first rebellion was actually January 1st, 1994, mm-hmm. so does that mean, I think about it frequently on yeah. years, but it didn't actually hit me until you named this, that yeah. that, this year now would be the 30 years. 30th yeah. anniversary of the Zapatista, wow. uh, yeah
0: rebellion yeah and still going Um, yes (laughs) and they just had a a gathering and at that gathering young folks older folks you know got up they wrote songs they wrote poetry they did more teatro so all of their gatherings actually have that element all the time that's never Mm -hmm. not a part of their political organizing art and the soul of the people is never not part of what they're doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. let's go ahead and throw
1: in the show notes some, some links to the works of Mary cool. Douglas and the thesis, and particularly that that shared gathering that went mm-hmm. through that they had, right? Yeah, um, that's you know great great transition into what we're about to talk about is like what are the ways that artists and cultural workers help us take in mm-hmm. this understanding about the structural conditions of our lives and give us context for that. One of the pillars of movement generation's just transition framework is if it's not soulful, it's not strategic. What role do you see for art and culture in helping us, as we call it, remember our way forward, right? And shifting from an extractive economy to a regenerative one and shifting from a worldview that upholds that economy, a worldview that's so based on white supremacy and colonialism and consumerism and ableism and individualism and the cis patriarchy, all the things, and to one that's really rooted in collectivity and interdependence and sacredness and the wisdom of our ancestors and reverence for land and water. Like, what role do you see arts and culture in? Yeah, help explain that principle to us. How did MG come to this expand on it
2: a little bit I remember it was Gopal who was writing a lot at that time and we were thinking about principles that can go along with the framework I remember him coming to me and was trying to work this out like strategy right because strategy just felt so white (laughs) I just have to say it you know it just felt very like militaristic like Mm -hmm. strategy what's the strategy you know like (laughs) You know, all our hardcore organizers, folks, like, hey, yeah, yeah, you got all this nice, lofty language around ecology and just what's the strategy? <laughs> and so, you know, we were just riffing back and forth, and it came to him, and he said, You know what, if it's not soulful, it's not strategic. And I was like, Right on, mm-hmm. right on, you are right about that, man. And that hit me. I was like, You're right, because there's so many things we mm-hmm. do. And people call it strategy, but we know deep down it's solid. Like, Man, this shit ain't gonna work.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but
2: we think it's like what we can do, right? It's still within that framework of oppression. Like you're only allowed to do what the oppressor allows you to do, right? Mm. And I think you know, mm. the, the 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 feelings behind if it's not soulful, it's not strategic, calls on us to do things that really speak to our fundamental core as living, conscious beings. It calls on us to take the higher road, not what we think is available, whether we believe we can win that or not. What is it that we need? What is going to feed us internally? Mm. And so for me, I think that's really what's behind that 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 principle. And artists and cultural workers have a, an amazing ability to speak to us through our feelings you yeah. know through our emotions in a way that we just can't get just based off pure analysis mm-hmm. and theory and you know the other thing about theory and analysis is as very classist you know mm-hmm. like i've had the privilege to be formally educated in this country and i've learned a lot of big fancy words and, and complex terms but at the end of the day the people uh, who are suffering don't need any fanciful language to understand their suffering. No. period. Mm-hmm. And I think art and culture helps us all unite good art and good culture for you know positive reasons because it could also do the opposite. you know it can definitely be used as a weapon against us and it has. But when we are in control of our art and culture, it is almost always used to uplift people and to help people grapple with this existence, this this paradox of existence that we have.
1: Can you say more about what you mean by the paradox of existence? <laughs> I feel that in my gut. I mean, that's right. And yeah. I'm just curious if you would say like a couple more words. What? Are, I mean, I for like me, we're grappling with something. What yeah, I something mean, it's
2: hard. I mean, we're living and we're dying at the mm-hmm, same time.
1: That's right. Right.
2: And as human beings who have conscious thought, we can see the world around us and we have self-awareness, right? And that's a beautiful thing. But it's also very scary. It's mm-hmm. also very scary to know, like, oh man, we're all dying slowly right but there's wisdom in our ancestry that teaches us about this and Mm -hmm. it teaches us to not be afraid to be prepared because it's part of life right right. but as we're here trying to achieve whatever we're trying to achieve we're not going to live forever and we know it Mm -hmm. and so it's a constant struggle to stay present in this reality especially given the oppression we face like Everything around us says we should just give up. (laughs) We really should just give up because it feels so hopeless. Mm -hmm. Right. But we know that that's not true. We know that's not true. And we know from our ancestry that it's not true. We know that things can be better and things have been better in different ways before. Not to romanticize the past completely, but there are definitely moments, lessons and teachings from our ancestry that we can re-establish that will allow humanity and all living beings to live better.
1: Yeah, yeah this, well, this thing that you're naming about cycling between despair or hopelessness and then this, the presence and the summoning of courage has felt, uh, that's putting to words so much of what my experience has been since October 7th and thinking in particular about what's going on in Israel and Palestine. The ways mm-hmm. in which I read the news or hear the news, it's too much, I numb out, I compartmentalize, and then I re-remember what's going on and try to plug into the actions and experience art and cultural workers as part of what, like, lets me feel my feelings mm-hmm. and recommit to the struggle. And Angela in particular, I'm, I'm curious because you've you've really been out in the streets. Of, you and I have seen each other <laughs> in so many moments in these actions demanding a ceasefire in Palestine, and how I'm curious how you've seen us either grounding in sacredness, spirit, the wisdom of our ancestors, whatever we want to call it, in this moment, and/or deploying arts and culture strategically.
0: Hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, thanks, Q for for grounding us too, and you know that wisdom, knowledge of our ancestors is part of our endurance here on this planet, and. I, you know, I think in this moment right now, I just remember that culture is the physical manifestation of a people's spirit. You know, mm-hmm. it's how we bring spirit into the material world. Mm-hmm. It's why it when I see and hear right, the chants, the songs, you hear the drums playing, the people dancing, the crying, the raging. Right. Mm-hmm. All of that is our spirit. All of that is our spirit needing to be heard. It's the spirit of our. It's like the lineage, right? Everything that we bring forward into this present moment, and it what it's what keeps us going. I think there's something that happens when we're in the streets. So I'm a birth worker, um, also death worker. Have been at the side of people who are coming into this world and who are leaving this world. And there's just something about those moments that are very. Similar to what I feel when I'm out with a group of people in this moment of grief and rage, right It's like all of the all of the mystery of life <laughs> and it exists in in those moments like you feel it it's the feeling right that's that's the soulfulness of this work, if we can't feel it, we're not gonna be out there fighting for Mm -mm. it. If we can't feel that it's the right thing to do, (laughs) we're not gonna be out there, right, doing it. And that feeling doesn't just come from us, at least in the way that I see the world and the way that my people see the world and the way that our peoples see the world, people who are connected to land and understand everyday miracles of life. Like, we come spirited, (laughs) we come ready. And I think the other part of that, like that spirit, that soulfulness is imagination, right? That's spirit also, Mm. because in order to create something, you have to imagine it first. And there's a lot of power there. That is that is spirit. (laughs) You know, that is like we can't see it, but we see it in our mind's eye and then we bring it forward, that's the cultural production, that's the song, that's the chant, that's the dance, that's the story, that's the artwork, right? And so for me, being out in, in the streets, it's not just about one more number, even though that is kind of what it's about sometimes, you know, one more person for a lot of people. But for me, it's really about the ability to bring, to be together with folks and, and feel <laughs> together, why we're here, why we're doing this. I feel like that's that was missing but being able to talk about spirit or soulfulness you know like i feel like it's it's missing a lot of times and since 2020 actually before that with black lives matter and a lot of the cultural production that came out around that like grief ceremonies things like that right people were bringing those things back because those are part of a lot of our cultures we we came together to grieve. We didn't cry alone, you know, we didn't grieve our dead alone or some kind of atrocity that happened. We did it together. But twenty twenty, right, when we were all in this pandemic, what I noticed, and maybe y'all notice it too, more and more people, not just folks of color, not just indigenous black folks, but like white folks are like I have ancestry, too. (laughs) My people have practices, too, that help me get through this grief, right? That help me get through what we're going through together. And so something shifted, right? We saw the summer of 2020. Mm -hmm. The most people across the world that we've seen come out to protest, to speak, to be pro-Black, pro-Black life. And now we're seeing this, you know? And I think it has to do a lot with the fact that folks are coming back to like, what are the basics here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do we need to survive? We need each other, we need to feel, and we need to be okay with feeling, and and we need to act together, and we need to sing, and we need to chant, and we need to dance, and we need to pray, we need to do all these things. Like that has to be part of what's gonna carry us forward as empire crumbles yep. Yep. <laughs> and land and people are liberated we need all of those things and, and that's where we're at I feel like yeah. in this moment.
1: Yes thank you so much for naming that and I think I appreciate you in particular naming imagination and I think about our friends that start for story-based strategy who say, like, you, you can't take people somewhere that they haven't first been in their imaginations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or they haven't been able to first go in their minds or, yeah. or something like that, right? And this is, this is such the role of Art and cultural workers and all of us getting in touch with what are the practices that we've been, that our peoples, whoever they may have been, used to have at some point when they were connected to land mm-hmm. that held us through the best and the worst of times that we've been alienated from, that mm-hmm. we there is a way back toward, and it will never look exactly the same, but that we will reinvent, right, and that will hold us through through the struggle. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that. And, yeah, I think this is why MG has really made cultural strategy is such a key piece of the work and so quentin I'm, i'm curious for you in 2019 movement generation together with the climate justice alliance the new economy coalition led this thing called the creative wildfire program which itself was a reboot of a previous creative wildfire program which commissioned 14 artists to uplift and popularize this idea of no return to normal right in that moment we were this idea that COVID was over which of course it's still not over it seems mm-hmm. fantastical now but there's no no return to normal manifesto that folks should read in the entirety and we'll drop a link into the show notes but essentially this idea that um, we'd return to quote unquote normal but normal is as the manifesto states i want to just read a section of it Quote, normal is careless, normal is ableist, normal is profit over life, normal is having a boss, normal is not getting paid what you deserve, normal is the theft of land and life and the myth of white supremacy, normal is what got us into this mess in the first place. So there was this manifesto, MG commissioned artists to help popularize it. You were really central to this. Actually, both of you were, but mm-hmm, yeah. Quentin, I want to direct this one to you. You were really central to this project. Can you tell us about the artists that participated and maybe what you learned through the process or what you've learned from some of those artists? And let's let's shout them out. I want folks yeah. to yeah. up our artists and culture. Yeah, work. no doubts. Yeah.
2: And uh, yeah, shout out to Angela. We co-wrote that manifesto. It was a beautiful experience. So many wonderful artists participated in Creative Wildfire 2.0. Folks like Maddie Madlines Clifford, mm-hmm. Aisha Schillingford, Jackie Fawn, Kate McNeely, Crystal Clarity, and Amir Kadar, just to name a few. They created a beautiful array of different projects and collections like coloring books for children, mixed media designs, posters, augmented reality experiences. And for me, I learned so much through that process, it was really beautiful to have this relationship with artists and cultural workers that I feel like a lot of our past practices and movement spaces that I've observed was like, you know, we, we're the ones, you know, we're the strategists and the thinkers and the organizers and we have it all figured out and we'll organize some stuff and then we'll say, okay, insert artists here. You know, like, where's the artist at? At the last minute, the last yeah. hour, with the least amount of resources, hey, can you come and do that thing you do mm-hmm. that everybody seems to like? Because if you don't, then nobody's gonna come to our shit. So come on over and do that thing, please. And we'll pay you a pittance of what you're worth. Yeah, so true. <laughs> yeah. And so this so was totally true. different. This was from the jump. You know, it's like, how do we create a program where we're in conversation with artists and culture workers from the beginning? And how do we give them the resources? that they can use from the beginning to create, and it was wonderful. One of the things I learned is that artists are not as interested in being isolated and left to their own devices as I previously thought. There was a strong desire for this group of artists to be in relation to one another and to be in relation to movement orgs like MG. And so it was really beautiful to see how much they embraced the project, how much they embraced each other, how much they... Even though, you know, they all they all have their individual pieces and things that they were working on, they were very much uh, willing to collaborate with e- each other and support each other, even beyond what we were offering. So that was just really beautiful for, for me to see. Excellent.
1: I love that. And thank you for validating... I, I, I don't necessarily... Identify as an artist or cultural worker. You so, like and,
2: yeah, you so
1: are. You so are.
2: You so are. I've seen those beautiful photos. The thing you need was so
1: validating. to I know folks have love and respect. It's not that. But it's just yeah. like this experience being hit up at the last minute. Not included in the strategy. Come do the thing and come make it beautiful without any of the collaboration. It's yeah. so... The, the the default trajectory yeah. which is mm-hmm. I think part of this podcast and part of what MG is doing and part of what I see our artists and cultural workers and together with organizers doing is like how do we rewrite that how mm-hmm. do we ground our work in a different intentionality and so thank yeah. you for validating that experience and <laughs> helping us rewrite mm-hmm. A Way Forward
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I think you know, I think what's important to name here is that the sort of idea of remembering our way forward is that soulfulness and this idea of if it's not soulful, it's not strategic. Soulfulness isn't just for street actions, right? Mm-hmm. That this year, you know, movement generation together with the Segorate Land Trust freed, I think it's 40 acres, right? 43. Land, 43 yeah. <laughs> acres of land from mm-hmm. Bay territory mm-hmm. in the East Bay and, you know, freed permanently from the speculative real estate market and is now stewarding this land, restoring an interdependent relationship between people and land and building mm-hmm. out MG's Justice and Ecology Center on that land. So I'm curious, you know, how Anhela, how has MG rooted its land stewardship work in that yeah, I think you could define it in many different ways, but sacredness, spirit, culture, ancestral wisdom. And or like where do you see other landback projects mm-hmm. integrating that into their work?
0: Yeah. Well, what I'm learning about this process of rematriation of land reparations that we see particularly happening across Turtle Island across the so-called US with black and indigenous people and people of color is there's so many like hard feelings, you know, because of the way that the land has been we've been used against the land, you know, our bodies, whether that's forced labor, whether that's shadow slavery right we have these relationships to the land in our histories that were forced upon us by colonization capitalism and so it's a big deal when using us as an example right black and indigenous and people of color led collective of folks come back into stewardship with the land just that in itself we're bringing the spirit of our peoples, of our cultures, of our ancestries back to the land. And because we are nature, humans are nature, right? We're nature walking around in the city. And every aspect of nature brings something, right? Trees bring oxygen, right? We bring culture, we bring the art, we bring the songs. And so just being there, and just this first stage that we're in, lots of other things are going to happen, right? There's all kinds of not sexy stuff you know, <laughs> around like management and budgets and money and all those things. But just at its like most basic, we're, we're bringing, we're just, we're reconnecting in that way by being present there, by like talking to the land, you know, by listening to the land, what, what we're calling it right now. We just come and like, let's listen. What is the land telling us? what was here before, what are the stories we need to learn before we move too fast on whatever changes need to be made here. That is, you know, I, I do wanna share also that the whole process of, of finding this land actually started with a prayer. We we all pray in different ways, you know, as a multi-faith, multi multi-ancestral collective, but Carla Perez is one of the collective members know, led us in a prayer, uh, a visioning, an intention setting, call it whatever you want. We didn't know, but we sat down out here in front of the yurt on the grass and we prayed together. And if I don't tell you that, like that vision that we put together, like if it did not come true, (laughs) like it came true. You know, we had visions of like the biggest grandma tree. We were going to find that tree on the land. Like we see it, you know, of places where we can have a sweat lodge or some other ceremonial space in the future, you know, like all of that is possible, but we are starting with listening and reconnecting because that is our role, right? As humans to, to be in relationship. That's how we understand the patterns, right? Of the animals the migration patterns, the water, right? That we get to see actually and understand what, 150 years of mismanagement or more has done to this land. Like that's where we're at right now. And so I feel like that might be like a, a difference, you know, between someone or a group of folks buying 40 acres of land and tending it, creating a like a regenerative farm or something and what we are doing, what the Land Back movement is doing, what Black Land and Reparations, you know, Black Land and Liberation Initiative is doing. It's not just about having the land to make it productive, which is part of it, but not only, right? But it's about really deeply reconnecting because it's where we all come from, it's where we all go back to and, and yeah, it's part a central part of the web of life. <laughs> so yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you for bringing that land back into the web of life, and with such good intention, and for setting that example, and in partnership with Segurite. And yeah. yeah, it's
0: definitely a dream come true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: prayer come true. Mm-hmm.
0: Prayer come true. That's right.
1: Thank you. So I want to. I, I gave you all a heads up. There would be like a little lightning round of questions <laughs> that I didn't share with you in advance. So here they are, oh, uh, no. lightning round. <laughs> so for each of you, don't, don't overthink it, oh, uh, no. go-to comfort food. What
0: you got? Man, I just had it yesterday. I made some arroz con leche, which is like rice with milk, cinnamon. It has like my favorite flavor, cinnamon, in it. So that's it. It's rice, milk, cinnamon, and sugar. And I feel like a lot of people eat that all over the world, but it definitely reminds me of my grandma. Mm.
1: So. Mm. And,
0: and not
2: even guilty pla- cinnamon's like all in the anti-inflammatory tip, right? Yes. Yo, uh, that's a great question. I've got I have to say a few things. Uh collard greens, number one, mm-hmm. that's like a love of my life. Uh, I I cannot live without that plant. Um <laughs> Don't Apples. What did tell
1: your partner? Apples
2: <laughs> She knows. <laughs> it's an open it's, it's not a it's not a secret in our household. She may feel the same way, actually. Um Apples. I'm an apple guy, I love apples. Apples. I need apples and chocolate chip cookies.
0: Mm-hmm. Those you know, are, those
2: right. are my thing. I, I, like, mean, are the, like, pink I mean, you know, if I does my, my, the, the star of my life right now, unfortunately, you know, because it is not a local apple is the Fuji. I'm, oh, I'm in love yeah. with Fuji apples. That's okay. my thing. I love them. I just ate one before this podcast. Crispy, <laughs> crispy and
1: sweet. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yes. All uh, right. Uh, best advice. You've ever gotten. Could oh, be Lord. a movement oh. tip, could a personal tip. I, got, like it. Go I, I got it. Go I
2: ahead. I got it. I got it. I think about this often. I've had a lot of great advice, but again, shout out to my man Paul. He once said <laughs> that, and I want to get this right. He says that we are all better than the worst things we say or do, and there's always a right thing to do next. <laughs> Boom
1: a true Gopal we call these in a movement generation we call these Gopalisms like yes. true Gopalisms yes. oh. I've drawn on this way you and I've
0: effed up yes exactly self talk to myself
2: <laughs> yes it's so true I It is so true. write
0: that down wow best advice that, this is hard I think you can pass okay um, yeah I feel like I don't know something Pride Gopal says plus one plus one yeah alright yeah. a
1: book podcast show radio program something that you're binging you're feeling you're whooping that you you want to let the folks in on that people should be checking
2: out awesome mm-hmm. i'm gonna i'm, I'm on I'm, I'm on my laptop right now looking at my spotify history because there is a podcast that i was just binge watching mm-hmm. and no and, and unfortunately it's i think they're done I think they, they started in pre-pandemic and ended in 2021, maybe. But it's African Campfire Stories. Oh, so check oh, them out. Yeah. African Campfire Stories. Okay. It's a history podcast um, centered around African history and stories. Very well
0: done.
1: I've exhausted my list. So the point, the, the, the question is for me to
0: rebuild that <laughs> list. I go to this, this. It's a Netflix series, a really short animated one called City of Ghosts. Mm. and it's about LA. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's, it's so, so cute, nice, y'all. I, it is I so cute that. but and so smart cuz it tells the different like cultural histories of different parts of LA. Lemur Park, I think like Koreatown or Japantown. They talk about Tabangar, the indigenous, you know, name for Los Angeles. That's actually a really amazing episode for young for little ones to understand what colonization is and has done and also like what re-indigenizing means. It's a really dope, short, little, yeah. like, episodes, like, 15, 20 minutes each, that I will go back to when I need to, like, feel good. <laughs> mm. Because they're kids, and it's really hopeful mm-hmm. and they're learning and they're interviewing actually the whole thing is like this little girl's like interviewing the ghosts so you gotta you gotta watch okay. it, yeah, it was yes very nice. next city of ghosts yes. mm-hmm. yeah
1: all right you got little ones look it up yeah mm-hmm. last question who is an artist or cultural worker that we should host on this podcast next who you want to nominate whose voices do you want to put <sighs> so out many. into the world i know there's a lot but um,
0: I think of Sins Invalid right away. I think of Patty Byrne. Mm. Tell us who Sins Invalid and Patty Byrne are. Sins Invalid are a, I guess we call them like an organization of artists and cultural workers, disabled artists and cultural workers. They put together this amazing show almost every year, every two years, different titles that has You know, a bunch of disabled artists that are writing this like songs, storytelling, dance. And I mean, I just appreciate Patty Byrne and Sins Invalid because they've supported movement generation so much in our learning and understanding of disability justice, of ableism, of multi-ability organizing one of our our Collective members, Trey Vasquez, is working closely with the Crip Survival Network right now, which is one of the kind of organizing structures that Sins Invalid has been a part of kind of raising. So, yeah, I think just hearing from them, I've learned so much. I love all of the shows that they've put on over the last few years. Mm-hmm. So And I really recommend everyone check them out, mm-hmm. Sins Invalid. Excellent. We'll throw Mm
2: a link to Sons Invalid in Mm -hmm. here. Lots of love to Patty Byrne and everyone who's
0: built that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who should we have on? Guys, it's
2: so hard. It's so, 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 so hard. It is hard, yeah. Um, But I'm going to, I mean, Spirit is calling me this to name Leah Penniman. So I don't know if Mm. Leah defines herself as a cultural worker or artist, but to me, Leah is definitely a cultural worker and an artist. Uh, She's one of the um, founders and directors of Soul Fire Farm in upstate New York and uh, yeah i've had the pleasure of meeting her and reading her works and being on we actually had leah on our podcast on did we go too far before Mm -hmm. and so yeah i just everything she says and does it's a wonderful spirit in the world
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely i'm putting her on the list awesome yes thank you both so much quentin angela for joining us today for your insights your powerful work can you remind us how people can find movement generation out there on the on
2: the interwebs or otherwise well you can definitely go on our website movementgeneration.org we're also uh, on twitter or x as they call it nowadays <laughs> yeah. at move gen also on ig same move gen
0: yes where's movement generation
2: so. i think maybe at a uh, movement generation movement generation yes. on ig yeah
0: and we also have a TikTok channel. It's oh, yeah. got, like, three videos, but more to come. <laughs> if y'all want to make a TikTok video for us, let us know. <laughs> but we do. We're getting on that, that Gen Z tip, for sure. <laughs> yes, TikTok.
1: Well, I appreciate y'all so much. Y'all are just so dear to me and real um, inspirations in this work. So thank you for doing what you do and for taking a moment out of your busy schedule to make this happen. So.
2: You're thank welcome. You. Thank Felt you. Feelings mutual
1: indeed indeed and that's it for today but before we go do you have a favorite movement artist or cultural worker that you want to nominate to be on the podcast if so let us know drop a line in the comments and we'll follow up with them and in the meantime if you liked the show please share it on the socials you can find us on instagram at that's how the light gets in podcast and you can find me your host brooke anderson on Instagram at movement photographer. Thank you so much for tuning in and see you next episode.